Hello, and welcome to the Amateur Cryptid Survival Guide. I'm Cass Rowland. And I'm Jude Furlong. This week, as every week, we bring you a different cryptid on the show. Um, this week is a bit of an oddity because uh, the, the, this thing exists in a sense. And the question is more, how accurately does it exist? Oh. Uh, this week, we are discussing the Cuban albino shark. Uh, otherwise known as El Monstruo de Cojimar, along with other uh, famous great white specimens. This is a great white shark, great white shark found somewhere in Cojimar during the 1940s. Um, it is 21 feet long and oh. albino. And I don't know if you know this, albinism in sharks is very rare. And in fact, unheard of in great whites there there are no specimens of an albino great white oh that's fun i we will we will get into all the details about that as we go on but i get i guess it's important to sort of start where the kohimar story begins kohimar is a small fishing village east of havana um you might know it as the inspiration for ernest hemingway's the old man of the sea uh, if you look at a lot of writer's stories from that time, they're often set in Havana, in a couple of areas surrounding Havana. Um, usually these fishing villages that were often poorly off, but had a lot of tourists go through them. Um, and Hemingway and a lot of his contemporaries really enjoyed, um, I say a lot of, but I think I just know the like five different writers that all went to the fishing villages in Cuba because they all really liked fishing. <laughs> I, I'm generalizing, but it certainly feels like a trend to me. I feel like whenever I learn about Hemingway, he's always, uh, I don't, I don't know what the proper word for this is. He's always hanging around other writers. <laughs> was it, yeah. was it, was it Hemingway who like had the conversation with F. Scott Fitzgerald where his wife had made fun of the size of his penis and Hemingway was like, let's go to the statues of the Greek statues and you can see that your penis isn't that small. Or if you want, we can go to the back and I'll look at it and confirm for you. It's a fine size. I don't remember if that was Hemingway or not. But I, 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 I want to I, I say that's, Oh shit. It's a contemporary. I, I don't know. I do know Hemingway is the guy who went on a lot of like elephant hunting trips. Um, <gasps> some, something. Yes. It, it, is is? it is Hemingway. It is Hemingway. It is Hemingway. Incredible. Yes. They form. They quote formed a fast friendship over a mutual love of drinking and writing, and there is an article here that says the time Hemingway and Fitzgerald measured dicks. <laughs> Great. Love it. Kohimot is this small Cuban village. Um, and as far as most people of the time were aware, the Great Whites were not really in that area within the uh, the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so to see a Great White at all was quite a, a shock. But particularly these men were, a couple of men were out fishing. Um, and they noticed like for hours and hours, there wasn't much to be had. And fishing's a slow, uh, you know, a slow industry to begin with most of the time. But this was weird for them. And then they see this giant fin cutting through the water. And that is the beginning of El Monstruo with these, 
these four fishermen out on a boat uh, suddenly paddling back to land as they see a giant shark fin approaching them. A couple weeks later, El Monstruo um, allegedly attacked a child. According to at least one report, not far from the village was a rock that overhung a hole more than 50 fathoms deep. In 1945, some children were playing on this rock when one of them slipped and fell. A sudden swirl and the sea was dyed with blood. Oh. The thought of his child being torn to pieces by the shark was too much for the father. And he went out of his mind. This comes from El Suizo. <clears throat> On evenings when we didn't put to see ourselves, we went from cafe to cafe in Kohimar, chatting with the fishermen. Sometimes we watched them angling from the end of a little wooden jetty where they hoped to catch five or six pounders. For on some evenings, sharks came in and lurked within ten yards of the shore. Not far from the village was a rock that overhung a hole. This, the fishermen declared, was the haunt of the biggest sharks near Kohimar. For weeks, the father wandered through Kohimar, wild-eyed, living on what the other men gave him. He had given up fishing altogether. Sometimes at night he would go and sit on the fatal rock and stay there for hours, one night, the silence was broken by the sound of explosions. Someone went to see what was happening and found the wretched man throwing sticks of dynamite into the sea at the place where his boy had disappeared. Soon afterwards, he vanished from Kohimar. Did he throw himself into that pool? We don't know. He was never seen again. But nobody has fished there since. It's unknown if this was Monstruo that did it, uh, but it's become part of the popular legend. Um, Monstruo is a very popular tale in a lot of Cuban fishing villages along the west coast i believe is where this occurred um if i'm recalling correctly but i i might not be but sort of along the west and north coast around the gulf of mexico where a lot of these fishing villages are and it's a very popular tale it's sort of a cultural artifact and it was made a very big deal out of as the subject of a discovery channel documentary during the shark week about five years ago maybe six mm -hmm. uh, cass are you familiar with discovery channel shark week I am. I'm very familiar with it. When I was younger, um, I was part of a swim team. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was always very exciting when it was Shark Week because the captains of our swim team had, do you remember those little like towels that they give babies that have like the little hoods on them with the animals? <laughs> yeah. They yeah. got those, but shark shaped. For the whole team? Not for the whole team, but for them. And they would run around oh. the deck and they'd chant Shark Week, Shark Week, Shark Week during practice. And everyone mm -hmm. would get really excited. I love Shark Week. I think I feel like sharks are unfairly villainized. I love a good shark. I feel like Shark Week, for most kids, 10 to about 15 for a period between 2010 and 2019 was the biggest deal in the world. It was what we all looked forward to every year. Now for my money, as a person who uh, loves sharks and always has, um, I had this huge book all about all these different kinds of marine life and the two biggest sections that I always read over and over. You could tell from how worn the pages were was the section on deep sea life, and the section on sharks, because that was what I went crazy for. I was wild about the fact that sharks were these ancient creatures, essentially, that hadn't changed in millions and millions of years in terms of how they had evolved. Like they were they were optimized to begin with. This was the this was the top tier animal. This was at the peak, the apex mm -hmm. predator. Uh 
quite famously, though, I believe a couple... This was actually before... Um, this was before the documentary about the Cuban albino shark uh, that they made, I believe, in 2015, 2015. Do you recall Megalodon, the monster shark lives, and the Megalodon Shark Week back in 2013? Yes. Uh, do you recall the immense controversy surrounding it for years to come? Mm-hmm. So... The thing about Discovery Channel is over time, they became less and less about science. And you sort of saw this with all the science channels because at some point, reality TV and sensationalism were what you needed to get by as a network. History Channel understood this decades prior. Mm -hmm. But Discovery Channel and Animal Planet started to sort of fall into this at the beginning of the 2010s. Um, Megalodon the Monster Shark Lives was not in fact a real documentary it was a piece of docu-fiction um, and they had done some very similar stuff there was a I don't know if it ran simultaneously or if it was a year or two ahead or before but there was also that um, Mermaids documentary on Animal Plant that was also a piece of docu-fiction um it was very weird if you watched Megalodon the Monster Shark Lives because most of it is filmed like it's a documentary and that could still be a piece of like docu-fiction. But it's weird because they interrupt it with sections of like this professor who is allegedly the guy making the documentary, but he's not doing an interview section. It's like narrative film style. Mm -hmm. It's a very poorly made film. But anyway, the point I want to make in all this is we can't trust Discovery Channel as an authoritative source. However, according to them, throughout this shark week during 2015, where they studied the great albino shark, where they looked around the Gulf of Mexico, where they began studying sharks within this area, their behaviors, etc., they came to the conclusion that the great white El Monstruo did in fact exist. Oh. According to Miami New Times, Discovery Channel documentary confirms 70-year-old legend of a Cuban monster shark. Six fishermen embarked from the seaside town of Cojimar in Cuba to find the underwater monster that was devouring their fish. They the crew took off in a small boat armed with only ropes and harpoons. After they hooked the creature, they spent the night and following day battling it in an epic struggle. When they arrived at the port, the townspeople flocked to witness the catch. 21-foot, 7,000-pound great white oh shark. Oh, God. Are you familiar with how how big great white sharks are usually? I am, especially because I have the Wikipedia page pulled up <laughs> right in front of me right now. So this is this says that uh, the average uh, male mm -hmm. uh, is about three point four to four meters, so eleven to thirteen feet. Average female is four point six to four point nine meters, or fifteen to sixteen feet. And they normally weigh somewhere between forty two hundred and five thousand pounds. So this is a this is a big shark. Two ton or no? How big is one ton? Two thousand pounds. Okay, so a, a a ton bigger than than your average great white lady. Yeah. And, and at least five feet longer. This is insane. This is an insanely big shark. 
I have a photo here for you, in fact, um, of the uh, most of the Kohimar villages over the body of the Great White. Not only are the fishermen there, but like practically the whole all the village children. Oh my! Um, now, analysis of the photo has indicated that the length might have been exaggerated, and it was probably only sixteen feet. But you can't get an accurate weight estimate from the way this photo looks. What they do know is that the girth shown in this photo to accommodate all the people that are sitting on top of it must have been pretty fucking wide. Mm-hmm. So it is distinctly possible that the shark was, in fact, this heavy. The big thing is that the shark wasn't just a great white, but a white great white. Albinism is exceptionally rare in sharks. Uh, you don't find a lot of specimens like that unless the whole species sort of lacks melanin. Um, like the albino rainbow shark, um, where it, they have like a particular kind of skin that always looks like they have the albino con- condition. Um, most sharks don't get albinism of any kind, particularly not pure albinism with the red eyes. Um, it's it's unknown if we've ever had a specimen like that. And with the great white, it's really, really notable. We've seen that with makos. We've seen that with some other smaller sharks but we've never had like a great white that is albino so can this even happen is the next big question and to that i would like to tell you yes which is wild a couple years ago it was actually found um an albino specimen of a great white it was a great white pup but it was a great white all the same Mm-hmm. Um, this was back in 2016 and people were trying to figure out if it was a, maybe a Mako, maybe another kind of small shark. It wasn't, it was a great white. Uh, it is not a salmon shark, explained shark biologist, Dr. Allison Koch. They are found only in the Northern hemisphere. So that leaves white shark pup or juvenile Mako or poor beagle. And there was a lot of debate about this from the photos because it, it wasn't entirely clear. Uh, this was a leucistic shark, so it doesn't have the red eyes, but it does have an albino skin condition. Um, great whites are not, in fact, white. They're, they have the gray top and the white belly, um, and the way the sun hits them gives them a sort of white appearance. Mm-hmm. Initial reports suggest the animal was an albino salmon, mako, or poor beagle shark. However, uh, this other scientist analyzed the photos, From the pictures I've seen online, I'm confident it's a white shark, but I understand the confusion. Juvenile white sharks are very similar in appearance to poor beagles. The easy way to tell the difference is the poor beagle has a secondary caudal keel and the white does not. And this did not have that secondary caudal keel. This was, in fact, a great white. This is wild to me. First of all, uh, I think it's incredibly cool whenever we find these kinds of conditions existing in other animals Mm. because I think it tells us a lot about the animal kingdom and the kinds of uh, interlocking elements that we can see across all animal kinds. But secondly, this proves albino great whites exist, but we've never seen another one. And I don't think we've ever had a full grown one is the issue. Mm -hmm. And do you know why? I know. I would love to hear it. Evolution! So... (laughs) So I have been doing my little fun machinations of being a total nerd on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been trying to find some information about albinism uh, in sharks. 
I started mm-hmm. off by just looking at albinism in general. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that it might not be the most relevant to sharks. <laughs> um, but so I found a website where they have uh, listed all of the different cases of albinism they've found in sharks. Um, true albinism in sharks is very rare. Um, partially because they think that being such a bright color in the water uh, makes them really visible to mm-hmm. um, both prey and predators. Like, for example, the great white shark is often in like an interspecial conflict with killer whales for resources. Um, so it's unlikely that those sharks survive. So it's unlikely those genes get passed on. Um, in humans, the most common type of albinism Uh, which is oculocutaneous albinism, is, Mm -hmm. from what I could find, it seems to be an autosomal recessive uh, gene. So both parents would have to have that gene somewhere in the family line. And obviously, if you have a whole bunch of sharks that have the gene, but they're getting knocked out of the gene pool, um, it's a lot more rare that those are going to survive in order to be, like, passed on to next generations. Right. So that's that's my nerdiness for the day. (laughs) Um, I, I do love being a little nerd about genes. Um, there are also some sharks that can, uh, temporarily lose color, like the black tip shark, um, which can temporarily lose its pigmentation during what it calls, uh, whitings, um, which are not currently very well understood, but they're, um, due to these blooms of shelled protozoans called cocolithophores. I don't know if I said that right, but <laughs> it seems interesting. I think protozoans are fascinating. They're like these, um, they're parasites, but they have like cell nuclei and they're, they're, they're wild. They're absolutely wild. Everything about this is wild. Genes, protozoans, pigment, melanin, sharks. It's wild. I love it. Now, now is that universally true? Because it was my understanding that some animals can acquire albinism as kind of um, a disorder or, or a genetic disease instead, and it isn't just a, a, a hereditary. Is that so true? Or There is a condition which can cause someone to lose pigment in their skin called vitiligo. Right. Which starts off as like these smaller areas and eventually right, spreads right, right, right. over time. Um, I don't know if albinism, if there are like types of albinism that spread. That's interesting. I I don't know. I don't know if that's true. That 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 may be me mixing up a a, a sci-fi thing with a real thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, from what I can see, it looks like albinism is a genetic disorder. So it seems like it would kind of stick around for the whole thing. But that's a really interesting question. Science. um the next question then is kind of can a shark get that big uh and if we look at let's see biggest great white the biggest great white ever recorded is in fact deep blue uh who is approximately 20 feet long which is four feet longer than average and weighs a whopping 2.5 tons. So this would beat out deep blue if it were in fact the estimated 21 feet. Again, photo analysis suggests that that's probably not true, but we can't be certain. Uh, But 2.5 tons is still only 5,000 pounds. Mm -hmm. 
I still can't get over how how fat this shark must have been to be 7,000 pounds. It's a big boy. Surely that would break their scales, right? How, how are you just going to have a shark measuring scale around that can be like, yeah, 7,000 pound shark. You're lying. You're lying. <laughs> they gotta have a way they can measure it. Maybe they put it... No, they do. I, I, I know there's ways that fishmongers do this and, and uh, fish hunters do this where they can... You can have a giant scale or something. Um, I wonder... Hold on a second. I yeah. gotta get my facts straight before I make wild claims. <laughs> okay. Oh! Yeah, no, they definitely have to have something that is that can measure that much because I just looked up how much a blue whale weighs. Um, because I was like, well, it must be at least more than five thousand pounds. Do you know how much a blue whale weighs? I am going to guess somewhere in the range of ten thousand to twelve thousand. Oh, that's what I would have thought too. No, three hundred thousand. What pounds. the hell? 300,000 oh pounds on average. No, hold on. Let me think about how big a blue whale is. God. Oh, my God. I can't think about how big that is. Oh, it's fuck. It's big. That's terrifying. And they live about as long as we do. Whales are way scarier than sharks. <laughs> yeah. In the, they're bigger in the southern hemisphere than they are in the northern hemisphere. In the northern hemisphere, they're just a loserly, like, 250,000 pounds. <laughs> but, um... They also, they're like, in the southern hemisphere, where they get the biggest they're going to get, um, they're about 90 feet long, too. So, uh, I guess I was trying to find evidence if they could weigh something that big, but I feel like they would have had to if they if they know how much a blue whale weighs. they got to have something that can measure at least that much. So, oh my god. That's huge. What? Uh, so, within the north to middle Atlantic... Um, there aren't actually a ton of big sharks. Uh, one of the biggest ever recorded is Nugumi, um, a massive 50-year-old great white who was tagged actually just last year um, in October. Researchers with O-Search, an NGO to get, dedicated to tracking great whites on the Atlantic Ocean, report tagging a huge female shark as part of their studies over the weekend. Uh, according to them, she is the biggest they've actually ever recorded in the North Atlantic. And it was 3,541 pounds, and she was 17 feet long. Uh, she is a she is a beautiful creature, I've got to say. A good, good for you, Nagumi. Um, the diversity of the sharks is very interesting here. Both males and females, both immature and mature. Um, so the North Atlantic often gets a lot of migration from sort of both directions, if that makes sense, because of the way great white patterns are fairly diverse. Um, if you look at great white distribution, they're actually kind of all over the map, which really took me aback. Um, not only are they along the, uh, Southern, uh, actually most of the East and West coast, not just the Southern East coast, um, along both sides of the Southern and Western coast, um, within, uh, there's a very small island they tend to circle around in north, so northern South America, but I forget which island that is. It is not Cuba. Um, the very far south of South America, uh, various coasts along Africa and Europe, western, or no, 
East Asia, um, and then South Australia. So they're kind of all over the map with the exception of the North Pole. And I think they go, they go all the way up into Canada. And I was really surprised by this because shark distribution is not normally like that. They'll normally stick to one particular ocean, um, often a particular temperate zone, usually either the tropics or the poles, um, with some degree of migration. The great whites are kind of everywhere. Mm -hmm. The one exception, of course, is the Gulf of Mexico. Is what I would like to say. <laughs> oh, you wish. I'm just glad the Great Lakes aren't red for some mysterious reason. Uh, there are freshwater sharks, but the trick with freshwater and saltwater sharks is, much like other forms of fish, if you put either in the wrong environment due to the principles of osmosis, uh, their blood explodes. So oh, that's not good. I believe that's how it works. Um, basically, they can't properly use their gills to breathe through the water because the presence of salt fucks with the water in one case uh, and the lack of salt fucks with it in another. Um, sharks can temporarily move through either environment. There are sharks known to migrate. I want to say saltwater sharks can go into freshwater, but it doesn't go the other way, I think. Um, but even then, it's not, like, good for them, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because also sharks have to um, continuously, like, move in order to properly get the water going in there. Yes. Ah, I found it. Yeah? I found the fish. I didn't find sharks specifically. But so chemically speaking, this says this is a quora forum on mm -hmm. um, fish. So water and salt always have to be in the same ratio in the inside of the fish and the outside of the fish. So, if you have a freshwater fish, they have more salt in their body than they do in the water around them, so they have to keep the salt ah. out of them. So their bodies are taking in salt and excreting water all the time. But if you put the freshwater fish in salt water, its body is going to keep doing that, but it's going to put in too much salt, mm. and the salt is going to flood in, and it's going to suck up all the water, and they're going to die of dehydration, essentially. Um if you do the opposite, this is the one you're talking about. The exact opposite happens if you put a saltwater fish in freshwater. Mm -hmm. So the cells uh, flood with water and they lose their salt. And that means the cells explode. Which is wild. Thank Don't... you. I would just like it said, I am not a scientist, nor am I a biologist. I am a, at best, amateur cryptozoologist. <laughs> That's the name of the show. Please do not consult me on matters of science. I am half right on everything, and I can only promise that much. If you ask me questions about science, I will get very excited. <laughs> if you ask me questions about science and you expect me to know the answer without the internet, and I don't know the answer, I will get imposter syndrome. Uh, at least within 2021, there were nine great whites pinged this year in the Gulf of Mexico. Oh. During the winter and spring, which is, I believe, the Great White Migration season across most distribution areas, they tend to migrate into warmer waters as the sea gets colder, namely along the tropics. So they'll go up from southern areas, down from northern areas, and 
at least based on Osearch's, uh, Osearch's uh, research, basically the great whites within the Atlantic tend to move towards the Gulf of Mexico and other tropical areas. So it is more than possible for great whites to be in the Gulf of Mexico. It's not their usual habitat, but like you'll find them there, maybe not in large numbers, but you will find them there. <laughs> so we've established three key factors. There are great whites in the Gulf of Mexico. Great whites can be albino, but usually aren't. And a great white could, in theory, in theory, be 21 feet big and 7,000 pounds. But it would be insane. With all this in mind, El Monstruo was real. And everything about him was real. Except for how it got talked about. But we'll get back to that after Crypto News. Ooh, Crypto News. Do-do-do-do. If you have cryptid news and you'd like us to hear it, please send it to us with one exception. And I'm going to start calling out <laughs> companies, specifically Altfin's cryptocurrency. We do not want your CEO. Cryptocurrencies in general, stay away. We do not want your business. We don't deal in that kind of work. Get lost. Do you, do you have any cryptid news for us today? Very tragically, I do not. I've been I've been uh, pretty busy this past week. Uh, that is but, okay. Yeah, I have two stories for you. Great. One is uh, significantly more upbeat than the other, I think, but they're both wild, and they're both about everyone's favorite hairy man. Oh boy! Big butt. So the first one comes to us from uh, Indie 100, which is a blog from The Independent. And they have found new footage of Bigfoot in a forest that has left people intrigued and apparently experts admitting there is a possibility it's real. Okay. So a video clip of a large ape-like creature was filmed through the tree line and was posted on Instagram through the account Cryptid University. And... It showed a large creature that was believed to be filmed in a forest in Georgia, in the southeastern area of the United States. Mm-hmm. And the footage is very shaky, but it hasn't stopped people from believing it's real. And, of course, admitting they would be terrified if they saw it themselves. And after it caused quite a stir online, I'm trying to, f- I'm trying to find where the expert opinion is. That is what I would love to know. You see this a lot with with, um, cryptid documentaries or cryptid reality series where they're like, even experts think it could be real. And they never say who those experts are. Are are the experts the people in the comments? I remember there's a, who's that, who's that top 10 YouTuber, top 10 YouTuber. He has the funny voice, chills, chills. Um, Number 15. Uh, (laughs) But I remember there's a video he has of uh, a series of, like, possible real sightings. And one was, like, number seven. A man was walking in the forest but constantly felt like he was being watched. Thankfully, he whipped out his camera phone and took a video but didn't notice what was in it until he got home. (laughs) And then he shows the footage of the video uh, that was shown on fucking live TV. and, And it says... And he says, local authorities weren't sure what it was. And you're looking at the video, and it's a leaf. 
He circled he circled this big green spot that like mysterious creature. It's a leaf. So what is... I, I would just like to say local authorities can be wrong. There's this nothing like... saying an expert is always right. This is like the croissant creature. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And I have one more piece of news for you about Bigfoot. Okay, hit me Which with it. Which is, uh, to me, is a sociology anthropology major. Very interesting. So uh, Thomas Markham, the founder mm-hmm. of a cryptozoology and paranormal research organization, it doesn't say which one, and the author of Understanding Bigfoot, recently came across what he believes are unmarked Bigfoot graves. Uh, what? In a recent post on the organization's website, Markham delves into why he believes these mounds may be Bigfoot graves, and why no one has ever discovered remains of the creatures after they die, and why, despite making this possibly historic find, he refuses to do any excavation. Markham, who previously made news when he claimed to have spotted a pair of Bigfoot entering a coal mines in the mountains of northwest Kentucky, a pair, ooh, he (laughs) believes that Quote, one of the reasons why we may not find Bigfoot bones often is that they bury their dead. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So this man claims to have seen two Bigfoots going to have sex and now found a hole in the ground and thinks that there are bones in there, but refuses to look because he knows there aren't bones in there. Uh-huh. So I'm I'm looking at a picture of this. Let me see if I can send you this this picture of a a hole in the ground with some leaves over it, and a giant orange um what's it called a, a giant orange piece of text above it that goes Could it be a Bigfoot grave? This is leaves. It's leaves. It's leaves. Maybe some moss. Uh, the. For real, this is where we're at. This is so depressing. Yep. He also clarifies why he doesn't want to disturb these possible Bigfoot graves or share their specific locations, writing, If, and I say if, a possible unknown grave was to be dug into and the remains were exhumed, it would need to be done by experts with the proper authority. You would want to preserve all you could of the remains. Of the leaves? This is so... Bizarre, I gotta say, because the moment you you set up a pseudoscientist with a piece of a human cultural artifact, they're like, yeah, let, let me get the power cutter. Yeah, that, that looks like aliens could have done that. Look at that weird line, you, the one you made with the power cutter. Looks like aliens could have done that. That That's advanced technology that made the cut that you just made. The cut that you just made. Yeah, advanced alien technology. But a Bigfoot grave. Well, that's that's a cultural <laughs> artifact that can't be disturbed. My God, you monster. We're men of science, and we have a sense of ethics here. <laughs> I also feel like the unfortunate thing about this interesting individual is that I think they've forgotten, as many Bigfoot experts do, that, like, animals exist. Yes, Yes, animals who also dig graves or bury bodies yeah. or bury carcasses that they want to eat later. It's like this man sees a squirrel burying an acorn and he's like, hmm, a Bigfoot. <laughs> a tiny Bigfoot with a funny hat on. 
is now in the ground. It's a Bigfoot grave. I found it. I just, it used to be that when you had a Bigfoot story, it was you and your friend and you had gone into the woods with a Bigfoot suit and a camera and you worked on it and you made something. You tried, goddammit. You didn't take some pictures of the fucking leaves on the ground and say, ah, I can't disturb it. God forbid we disturb the Bigfoot bones. Nor can I tell you anything about it. Yeah. I found a grave. You found some leaves. I found a grave. Okay, prove it. Is there a dead body in there? I don't know. What? Okay, I'm, I'm honestly concerned if this individual thinks a grave is a hole on the ground with or without a body in it. Mm-hmm. But does, does this man, like, go about his day-to-day business, like, seeing, a, like, a pothole, and he's like, mm, a grave in the road. <laughs> An uncovered grave for your tires. I hate Bigfoot experts so goddamn much. <laughs> and this concludes our cryptid news. Uh, tell me about the sharks. All right. So here's the issue with actually investigating El Monstruo de Cojimar, uh, as long as uh, as well as other details about um, this incident. Um, namely, uh, there have been firewalls in place with Cuban internet, essentially to um, prevent uh, cross talk between. Um, American news sources and Cuban news sources, they try to keep themselves authoritative. Um, beyond this, America has imposed a number of sanctions on Cuba throughout the throughout the past few decades, basically since Fidel took power in 1953 to ensure that, like, oh, the communists can't get any fucking resources. Cubans have worked very, very hard to get the educational system that they have, the medical system that they've had. Um, but in general... There isn't a lot of ability to get information uh, from Cuban sources without directly going there yourself, which is what the Discovery documentary had to do. Uh, we also don't know how many of the eyewitnesses are alive. At the very least, I don't from any of these sources. Um, I haven't found a chance or a way to watch the documentary as of yet. Um, they did interview at least one eyewitness from that time. Uh and we do have some other interviews from relatives of the eyewitnesses of the fishermen, etc. Um, here's one. A friend of my father was one of six fishermen who participated in the hunt. My father tells the story and it feels like I'm reliving a scene from the movie Jaws. As my father tells the story, it was a calm June day when six fishermen of Kokimar sailed out to sea in their 14 foot wooden skiff to fish for tunas, sharks, dorado, and other species. It was a daily livelihood. That day, although it was a typical day in June, there was an eerie feeling among the fishermen. Before sunrise, the fishermen sailed about three miles, just to the edge of the Gulf Stream, where the current is strong enough for large pelagic fish to abound. After a couple hours, not a single fish had shown interest in the fresh ballyhoos that were lying motionless in the water. Other boats that were not too far away seemed to have the same luck. Old salts talk about luck all the time. One of the fishermen exclaimed out loud when they saw a giant fin cutting through the water. No wonder there are no fish around. In great excitement, the fishermen tossed bait and chum in the water to keep the shark near. This shark was bigger than all the other sharks they'd ever seen or caught. Immediately, they tied several lines together, uh, and they bring it home. That's the story. 
That is a secondhand account, though, re- recited from a f- from the father who is a friend of the, one of the fishermen and may not have been there himself. Uh, according to the same author, its liver weighed approximately 1,500 pounds. That's a big liver. Is the liver the biggest part of the shark? The liver weighed 1,500 pounds. That's a big liver. Shark liver? Average size? <laughs> shark river. How big is a shark's liver? Yeah. Okay, so a shark's liver is relatively large. It takes somewhere between 5 and 25% of its total body weight. And it, oh, okay. What? Oh. It takes up, up to 90% of the space inside the body cavity? What? Um, yeah, the, the average great white shark, um, so a 7,000-pound shark would have a 1,000-pound liver. Okay. Ah, that's so big. So this isn't crazy. Why so big? Wait, hold on. Why is the shark liver so large? Tell me. Um, what do oh. they do? Is that is that because they have to filter all the salt? So it's order, in order to compensate for the loss of lift caused by having a bulkier body and smaller fins. Oh. Also, because the liver contains lightweight oils and hydrocarbons, which gives the larger, a larger shark increased buoyancy, which it needs in order to survive. Interesting. I'm learning so much today. Oh, one of the great things about Cuba, though, um, although information is kind of hard to uh, get via the internet or other um, electronic sources, one of the things is that actually going there and studying it is really, really valuable because as a lot of scientists have found Thanks to the country's dedication to environmental conservation, um, their reefs and coastal areas are extremely well preserved. And they are about as good, at least according to one guy. Uh, It's like the Florida Keys was 80 to 100 years ago before all the people, said Dan Whittle, the Cuban program director with the EDF. So essentially, the natural environments of... uh, the natural coastal environments of Cuba have stayed like relatively the same and beyond that, they're really well conserved. So it's very easy to get like strong and reliable data from them. And although I'm not inclined to trust discovery as a source, I am inclined to say, Oh, if they did do the research, they said they did. It's probably accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, during the trip, they tagged an eight-foot-long Mako shark. And during this documentary, they did manage to interview one one of the eyewitnesses, Osvaldo Oda Conero. Uh, he was a boy at the time, and he appears in the photos while sitting on the shark's head. So if you look back at that photo I sent of uh, the sharks, one of the young boys sitting on the shark's head is o- Oba. Uh, my brothers and my mother took me there and made me sit on its head. It was pretty cold. All the fishermen and their families came down. They were excited because they'd never seen such a big animal in Kohimar. One of the things I've noticed with both these stories is that they make no mention of a shark attack. They don't mention, the boy doesn't mention like, yeah, uh, one of my friends got eaten a couple weeks prior. Um, 
they don't say anything to the effect of like, yeah, we were out hunting because uh, one of the boys got eaten. So I'm inclined to believe that the rumor about about El Monstruo eating a young boy is just that, a rumor. Do I think the good and honorable Fidel Castro would allow anti-shark propaganda to enter his country? <laughs> no, but this was, pre, this was pre-revolution. We can't control those things. Do I think given that despite the Beatles ban for many, many years, the moment Beatles entered the country, Fidel Castro said, we must build a statue of John Lennon in the park. (laughs) There is a John Lennon park in Cuba. This is completely unrelated to sharks. There is a John Lennon park in Cuba, and it makes me furious every day. They ban the Beatles in that country as a symbol of capitalist consumerism. And I say, you should have kept it up. You should have kept it up, Cuba. And why did you build a goddamn Lenin Park? He's the worst one. He's the worst Beetle. He's the worst. You could have done Ringo Park. I can't help but wonder if perhaps they meant to make it a Lenin Park, but a different Lenin. (laughs) Fidel Castro got really excited when he saw Lenin on something and he got the names mixed up. Justin Trudeau's potential father said, "Mm, John Lennon, (laughs) Vladimir Lennon, same person, right? They're the same. I didn't know know that the the father of the communist revolution in Russia was a singer. I didn't know he was an artist. And I didn't know he was still alive. What's up with the Red Square then? (laughs) Given this, I do think Cuba is vulnerable to to anti-shark propaganda and i think the moment they saw jaws it ruined it ruined the country i think all this anti-el monstruo nonsense i think i think it's because of big big shark big what what would big shark be called shark sharkma what's what's the what's the big anti-shark industry big shark fin soup big soup (laughs) i think big soup has been out to to use El Monstruo as a, as a symbol. And I think people are starting to fall for it. And I would just like to say to all of you out there, don't fucking trust Big Soup. Sharks aren't for eating. They're your friends. A shark has never done anything wrong. Sharks are not really known for eating humans, and this is particularly true of great whites. Uh, I don't know if it's that they hate the taste, but although we've seen great white attacks they virtually never actually eat the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been known to attack during uh, states of vegetation um, due to misidentification. Uh, everyone knows the detail about like, yeah, if a shark sees you from below, it probably thinks you're a turtle or a seal if you're like hanging out on a surfboard. But Jaws really goes out of its way to show that the sharks eat people. And that's simply not true, my friends. El Monstruo would never eat you. A monstruo is no monstruo. It's only a big shark. Uh, solo es gran tiburón. I think that Shark Week was actually called like Tiburones, and it was all about different sharks in South America. Um, one of the things that's linked to the Cuban albino shark is another uh, Canadian shark, actually. Um, there have been a couple of very big sharks that have gotten re- talked about and reported uh, these sort of queens and kings of the ocean. 
and unfortunately, I am not able to find a source on this Canadian albino shark nonsense. Although Cryptids Wiki would love to claim it exists. Oh, the Cryptids Wiki. Oh, the Wiki. <clears throat> it is one of four sharks. This is about El Monstruo. It is one of sh four sharks, along with an Australian specimen caught back in the 1870s near Port Ferry, that allegedly measured an astounding 36 feet in length. And he brought into a Canada fish that is said to have been even bigger at 37.6 feet in length thought in the 1930s. And most incredibly of all, a great white caught by a Portuguese trawler just west of the Azores that was said to be a mind-blown 41.2 feet in length. Oh. The, the New Brunswick one I've seen, I haven't seen anything about, about no, it being an albino specimen, but it was allegedly that big. Here's the fucking problem. It was the 1930s. It was the 1870s. We have limited photo evidence or zero photo evidence, and we just have to go on newspaper records that were often by very local newspapers that had personal connections to the people involved. Uh, the accepted maximum size, well, the accepted maximum size of the great white shark is roughly 20 feet. Sightings of larger sharks continue to come in from time to time. One of the most impressive recent sightings is of a huge shark that bit another great white, measuring 11 feet long, nearly in half off Stradbroke Island, Australia, back in October of 2009. The smaller shark, a substantial fish itself, was hooked on a baited drumline and was a sitting duck for the much larger great white. I just don't get how 11 feet is impressive when we've seen a 20-foot one. Okay, but as someone who's a whole 5 foot 4, um, yeah, it's it's, six, 6 feet it's is two. impressive to it's, me. It's, that's two of you. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> That's two and a half of me and two of my wingspan. <laughs> Even more recently, a dinosaur-sized great white was seen attacking and swallowing a manhole off a South African beach in January of 2010. Huh. Can I tell you actually why sharks are impressive? Uh, go ahead. No matter their height, no matter what length they are. The bite force. The bite oh, force the, of a shark. Sorry. Yeah, go for it. So I'm going to start by telling you the bite force of a human. And I found a, I don't know why Allen's Factory Outlet has this um, on their website, but it's a chart of different fish and their bite forces, or different animals and their bite forces, I should say. Most of these are not fish. Um, but it also gives you a visual depiction of what the equivalent weight is. So for example, humans have a bite force of 200 pounds of force. Hmm. And they say that is the equivalent to being crushed by two Western-style flush toilets. A great white shark has an estimated bite force of 4,000 pounds of force. So if you get bitten by a great white shark, regardless of its like whether it's 6 feet or 10 feet, or, it's the equivalent of being crushed by a 2013 Ford Taurus. I don't know why they... Apparently, it requires, on average, 900, only 900 pounds of force to crush a human femur. Mm -hmm. So this shark can obliterate the strongest bone in your body as if it's a carrot stick. That's... I mean, that's the thing people see with shark attacks isn't really, like, um, ripped off limbs or anything. Although it fucking hurts. Uh, and mm -hmm. you tend to get a big piece so you take them out. But your limb doesn't actually get taken off, but you usually end up with a broken leg afterwards. Yeah. Or arm. 
Yeah. Um, looking at the cryptids wiki, a lot of people. The the first comment is by far my favorite. Thank you, Burgle Boober. <laughs> Fake. I know my stuff about sharks, and this is just dot dot dot. Fake. <laughs> well, you know, it could possibly be a megalodon, says a fandom user. Natural selection could have made adapted to the modern waters, and thus making it a possibly real cryptid. I would just like to go on record. I believe El Monstro was real. However, it is not a megalodon. There's a lot of ideas about the megalodon still existing. And I guess we should talk about this at some point. I don't want to do a whole episode. People have done plenty of takedowns of the megalodon before. Mm-hmm. It's about three times larger than your typical great white specimen by most estimates. Uh, Wikipedia says the average length estimate is around 34 feet or 10 meters, which is pretty massive. It's pretty big. Uh, larger estimates tend to go upwards of 40 or just below 70, which is huge. Uh, These could, in theory, eat you whole, I believe, but even then not effectively because their mouths were not quite as large as their body. Um, They're about as big as a bus, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, it's it's entirely possible for us to miss out on something that big. It took us years to ever, ever find a giant squid specimen. Like, by that... We had figured out they existed, I think, by the 70s or 80s. I think so. The thing that I want to know is how we eventually found out that whale sharks existed. Because those are the size of a school bus. That's the thing. That's the thing. Um, Because of shark uh, habitation and movement patterns, basically... I really don't think there's a way we would ever see something as big as the Megalodon and not see it. I think if you're moving around the way sharks do, you get tagged. O-Search dedicates themselves to this. You're telling me in all their years they haven't found a Megalodon because it's what? In the in the, in the the Hadal zone? No! Sharks don't live down there. <laughs> Some do, but they're tiny. It's going the exact... It's going like right behind... The researcher? An animal built like a megalodon could not survive in the Hadal zone. Um, animals built like squids can, but sharks are not built for that at that size. The, the mass just doesn't work. There's too much pressure. You can be a very small shark. You can be a very little guy. The megalodon is not a very little guy. He's a very big guy. Mm-hmm. I think it's totally I think it's totally possible that Monstro existed. I think I, so. I mean, we have the fucking photos. We know Monstruo existed. And you know what? I'll say it. I'll say it. I believe the reports. I don't care about the photo estimates. That's a 21-foot, 7,000-pound shark. I, be- I believe you. I believe you, noble Kohimar fisherman. <laughs> yeah. I think also, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is people are obsessed with sharks. We talked about this at the beginning. Mm-hmm. If you look at the response to the Ikea shark all over the internet, you can see it is symptomatic of people's absolute obsession with sharks. I'm not immune. I have an Ikea shark. Um, I love him very much. Um, But I think perhaps there is a god somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know which religion's god, and I don't know which one decided to do it, but they were like, you know what? Those people really, really like sharks. I'll just give them a whole lot of shark. And they just gave us one very, very large shark. Uh-huh. 
and we should appreciate it. We should say thank you, whoever hath constructed this shark for our shark-obsessed minds. Thank you. Maybe don't have it eat kids. That's not great. That was perhaps a design flaw, not a great move. But I do love a good big shark. I think if you're out there and you know that a big shark is out there and you're letting your kid out be out there on the beaches or whatever, um, you know, maybe I am a monster. Maybe I am just the mayor from Jaws. But if, you know, if you're, if it's, it's on you for choosing to let your kids out there on the beach, if you know a big shark's out there, hey, beach is open, sure, but that's on you. That's on you. That's on that kid for falling in. Shouldn't have been playing out in the rocks. Oh, Stupid. okay. You fool. <laughs> I'm on shark side. I hey of that of that at, issue as of a, that a, one as an anti big soup as of as a pro small soup as an activist for shark rights. <laughs> I believe the shark was in the right on that one. In eating sharks, a child, sharks can eat kids. Shark rights. <laughs> sharks don't eat the kids. Listeners, if you are out there, uh, pet a shark. They are they are so so smooth, and they will love for you to pet them. They love it. Uh, if you see a very big, perhaps twenty one foot, perhaps uh, thirty six foot, allegedly uh, shark where you live, uh, take a take a beautiful big photo. Uh, please, please, please tag them and tell O Search about that. They would love to hear it. I'm sure. Um, and us uh, de- yes uh, definitely do not go out on rocks where you know the sharks love to play and eat people yeah uh, I guess my final shark tip is hmm uh, what's a good shark tip uh, don't punch them in the nose it just makes them angry <laughs> it does not work <laughs> yes. if you do have a shark that's attached to you you gotta punch it in the nose. Don't. They hate it. Be be a good person. Let the shark eat you. The Amateur Cryptid Survival Guide is a podcast lovingly created by Cass Rowland and Jude Furlong. Follow us at ACSGCast on our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. And tune in Wednesdays at 8am Central where you get your podcasts.